Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I'm recording this early, actually, for my standards. I usually end up recording my episodes on like Tuesday evenings, go live on Thursdays. As you guys know, I always post episodes on Thursdays, but right now it is Monday afternoon and I just like, I'm getting the ball rolling early. I don't know what's going on. This Monday has been extremely productive for me, very unlike me. I feel like Mondays are always a total drag and like I, I have a hard time getting through them, but today we're doing great. I'm not really sure why, but things are great. We're productive over here. The sun is shining after like four days of rain and we're doing great. I have a good story for you guys today that honestly, I'm kind of phrasing it like it's a really good story, like a very positive, uplifting story. And truly it's not, but it's really interesting nonetheless. I feel like I always have these like chipper fun stories for you. I mean, some of them end up with like someone getting beheaded, but For the most part, I feel like my stories have been like lighthearted recently, but this one is a bit darker and I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it though, because it is, it's rather interesting. So today's story actually takes us to Ireland, 3000 or so miles from where I'm sitting right now here in the city and a place that I've always wanted to visit. Maybe someday. That was one of the places I didn't end up going when I went abroad in college. And I deeply, deeply regret it. I really want to go to Ireland someday. But today we're going there in this story. We're going to Ireland and we'll be talking about some pretty mythical beings, fairies, and how the Irish belief and fear of fairies living among us for hundreds upon hundreds of years inspired a murder. I bet you never thought I'd be talking about fairies on the podcast. Neither did I, but I stumbled across this story and a bunch of other stuff relating to fairies and the Irish that really just got my gears turning. And so I'm going to tell you guys a slew of stories today, all related to fairies. But first, let's unpack the general Irish belief in fairies and to what lengths specifically Irish people, past and present, have gone to to make sure that they don't anger the fairies. Because, you know, Long ago, the Irish believed that fairies in Ireland were neither human nor ghosts. They actually thought they were natural beings with these supernatural powers, like small in size, you know, as many of us imagine a fairy to be. But while they can be generous and bring forth luck and fortune to some, if you harm them or their property in any way, they can be super, super dangerous. So for many years, before an Irishman would build a house on a plot of land, They would first line up stones in the desired build spot. Then they would go away and leave the stones there overnight. And if they returned the next morning and the stones were still in the same spot they'd left them, the fairies living in that area approved of the build. They weren't going to get squished by the foundation and wreak havoc on the family living there. You know, people believed that the health and well-being of the humans in an area depended on that of the fairies as well. So if the fairies weren't satisfied with how the humans were living, they would attack and curse the people living among them. And people past and even still now really, really believe this. So naturally, many superstitions cropped up about how to not piss off the fairies. Long ago in Ireland, it was the women's task to mind the fire in the hearth. Before there was central heat, obviously many people relied on fire to keep them warm. So the women would keep it going, they'd put it out, etc. They would mind the fire. So when it was time for bed, the women would smother the flames of the fire, but they would be careful not to let the embers in the hearth fully go out. 
And this was because people believed that the fairies would be displeased if there was no more fire for them through the night. So many Irish people kept their fires, the embers burning when they went to bed for years and years and years. Another superstition tied to fairies and the Irish. So mothers and their babies were thought to be especially vulnerable when it comes to being abducted by the fairies. So to combat that and keep them safe, protective charms were hidden in a baby's outfit or placed in their cradle. And some of these charms include four-leaf clovers, bells, and foods like bread or cheese. And many thought that fairies wouldn't harm a child if their clothes were put on inside out when they slept, which is really interesting. Even more of a reason for Irish families to make sure they weren't upsetting the fairies, you know, so they wouldn't come and scoop up their babies in the night. Many people also thought that baby boys were especially vulnerable or coveted by angry, mischievous fairies. In fact, the old custom of dressing boys in girls' clothes, so in those dresses that you see in like old photos, until they were about 10 or 11 years of age was often done as a way to fool the fairies. Girls just weren't as coveted, supposedly. Apparently, fairies were on the lookout for healthy young boys whom they could replace. And this was a huge part of Irish folklore. So these human imposters were called changelings. They're fairies who had been left in place of a human who had been stolen by fairies. So the human was stolen and the fairy was left behind in its place so no one would be the wiser. So essentially the child or the adult, like it could be anybody, but it was a lot of children, were held captive by the fairies or killed or sacrificed to the devil and replaced by the fairy that appears to be the human. So looks like them, talks like them, seems like them, et cetera, but in fact is not the human. So it's an imposter. So in medieval times, young children with deformities, special needs, or health conditions that just puzzled doctors of their time were thought to have been replaced by changelings. Obviously, this is just a logical conclusion that the people would come to because the baby would grow up and be different than its peers. And so the The parents would just be like, oh, yep, clearly it's a changeling. Like, this is not my child. You know, we need to get rid of this thing that is not my child, right? So really horrible. And this is why many of these poor children were abandoned or even killed just because they weren't understood at the time. And as we know from my episode on superstitions a few episodes ago that we went into deep, deep lengths to discuss superstitions in history. The main reason why people subscribe to beliefs in bizarre things like this is out of a lack of knowledge and the human need to explain things, especially the things that don't seem explainable for security. It's so sad to read about this because people died over this belief. Like people believed in fairies and because of that, many people died that were totally innocent. Very similar to the Salem witch trials, things like that. Like it's very much in the same grain as witches, fairies, or changelings rather. So at the time, people thought that you could bring a stolen person back by either making the changeling, so the fairy disguised as the child or human, laugh or by torturing it. So two completely different things, like either making it laugh or making it die, essentially, which is. So, 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 so sad because oftentimes it was the latter. And people believed in changelings over in Ireland until the 1890s, guys, like widely believed in them. Likely still some people believe in them today over in the countryside. You know, people still tell stories about fairies and changelings and likely still hold the same beliefs and superstitions as their ancestors. 
Just about 20 years ago in 1999, the construction of an express highway was planned in Clare, a county in Western Ireland, but it was never built. Why? The locals protested its construction for a very peculiar reason. On the land that the freeway was slated to be built stood a large hawthorn bush, which is a common wild shrub that grows all over Ireland. It seemed to be like any other bush, but locals believed that it was the meeting point for clans of opposing fairies. Might I remind you, this happened in 1999. A man named Eddie Lenahan was a folklorist in the area at this time, and he led the local campaign against the express highway. He said, if they bulldoze the bush to make way for a planned highway bypass, the fairies will come to curse the road and all who use it, to make brakes fail and cars crash, to wreak the kind of mischief fairies are famous for when they are angry, which is often. And the story even got the ears of the New York Times perked up. They wrote an article about it. And the headline is, if you believe in the fairies, don't bulldoze their lair. And it was published in June of 1999. And because of all the public opposition, the route for the freeway was changed, the tree was saved, and it still stands there today. Less than 100 kilometers, though, from where the fairy bush stands, a tragedy occurred in the name of fairies. In 1895, Bridget Cleary, a capable, determined, independent young woman, disappeared from her cottage in rural Ireland. Just eight years earlier, she had married a man named Michael. They met when she was working as a dressmaker and he as a cooper, making wooden barrels and buckets in a town called Clonmel. After the marriage, Bridget went home to where she grew up, a town called Ballyvidlea, to live with her parents. All the while, her husband Michael continued to work as a cooper in Clonmel. While they lived apart during this time, Bridget seemed to totally thrive. She started her own side hustle, so not only was she making dresses, she also had her own flock of chickens and began selling eggs to her neighbors. The girl was killing it. She somehow found a state-of-the-art Singer sewing machine during this time as well, which was totally ahead of its time, which really amped up her dressmaking career as well. From what I've read, Bridget seemed to be a very driven and happy person. She was truly unique for her time as well as a literate, independent and fashionably dressed woman. So at some point, Bridget and Michael moved in together finally, but her mother had passed away, so they were now responsible for her elderly father, Patrick. So the three of them all lived together in a cottage that many accounts describe as being the best in the village, but with one catch. It was apparently built on top of a fairy fort. Doesn't sound like they put out their stones <laughs> and did the whole ritual. And if you're wondering what a fairy fort could be specifically, so I have, I have the answer for you. A fairy fort typically was built in the shape of a raised circle involving bushes, trees, other natural elements. And in these forts, all sorts of mysterious mythical happenings took place. Spirits from the other world are said to live in these forts, and if someone is dumb enough to disturb them, revenge will be taken by the mythical beings upon whoever was dumb enough to do it. So Michael and Bridget kind of messed up by planting their cottage right on top. I'm not sure if it was like already built there and they moved in, but regardless, people say online that they lived on top of a fairy fort, which I'm sure the fairies were not very happy about. But aside from the bad juju that supposedly surrounded them, Michael and Bridget were described as being a rather happy couple. They didn't have children, but they seemed to be happy. In March of 1895, though, Bridget was reported as missing. One week later, she was found, or what was left of her. 
According to one of my sources, policemen found Bridget's body wedged beneath several inches of clay and a jumble of thorn bushes in what appeared to be a shallow grave. And while from this description, it could seem like there are a million different ways that this could have unfolded, like someone could have been jealous of her for her skill or an egg delivery gone bad, like so many different possibilities because of the nature of like her character and things like that. And the town, it was very rural. So it's easy to kind of go missing, I guess, or like to get rid of a body sort of thing. But Bridget's condition, the, the condition of her body, okay, after just seven days of being missing, told a totally specific story. So Bridget's spine and lower limbs were absolutely charred. They were so burnt that parts of her skeleton were peeking out of her skin. She was naked except for a single stocking and one gold earring, and her head was covered by a sack. It was a gruesome sight, and after intense questioning of everyone in her life, nine people were charged, including her husband. They were charged on an account of, quote, wounding, which I wouldn't say covers even half of it because, good Lord, this woman was in rough shape. So what happened? How did Bridget go from being a fashionable, driven woman with a side hustle and a loving husband to dead in a ditch? Was Michael so intimidated by his wife's success and the money she was bringing in that he, along with some relatives, sought to brutally burn and kill her? Was he so angry that she hadn't been able to give him a child after eight years of marriage that he killed her? Did he have an affair running in the background? Did he have another woman? Like, why did she end up dead and was her husband to blame? There's something you need to know about Bridget. So aside from being extremely driven, smart, and polished, as we know, she was also fascinated by folklore, specifically fairies, which might have to do with her choice of cottage location, now that I think of it. But Bridget would hear about parts of town that were home to mythical creatures, such as fairies, and take trips to see them with her own eyes. She was just so interested in this stuff, which as am I sitting here today in the 21st century. So one such trip that she took to a fairy ground happened just before her disappearance. She'd gone to deliver some eggs to her father's cousin, a man named Jack Dunn. The area that she went to deliver the eggs was apparently home to a fairy fort, and she knew that. So as we know, Irish people avoided these places at all costs. They were afraid to disturb them in any way, but it's said that Bridget spent some time there while she was delivering the eggs. So she'd walked about three miles to get to Jack's house to deliver the eggs and the fairy fort location situation. And it was a cold, snowy morning. And after three miles there and three miles back home, she found it impossible to warm up. The journey had quite literally made her ill. So she spent the next day in bed, shivering with a massive headache. And doctors told her she had a case of bronchitis. But her husband, Michael, had another idea of what could be wrong with his wife. He was engaged in some gossip, okay? Some classic man-to-man gossip. So that guy I mentioned, Jack Dunn, uh, the one that Bridget had literally walked three miles to and from to deliver eggs to, like out of the kindness of her heart, he had started chatting with Bridget's husband, Michael. And he was known to be quite the storyteller, big on telling tall tales with very little hint of truth. Big gossiper, this guy. And so Jack floated the idea to Michael that while Bridget was passing by the fairy fort near his house, she had been swapped out by a changeling. 
The woman that lies sick in bed in the cottage wasn't Bridget, he thought. It was a fairy who had taken her place. Bridget was out there somewhere, needing rescue, and Michael had to take action on this changeling that looked like his wife, or he wouldn't get his real wife back. So Michael did note, he was like, oh, okay, maybe this is a possibility. He was like looking at Bridget and realized, oh, she kind of seems like two inches taller than she had been before visiting the fairy fort. Like, she is not my wife. Like, he was convincing himself that this Jack Dunn character was correct and like he needed to get his wife back. So as I said earlier, many people thought the way to bring their loved one back was through torture of the current being who supposedly was really a fairy. So Michael went to a fairy doctor through Jack Dunn's recommendation. And this fairy doctor, his name was Dennis Ganey. And from Dennis, he got this concoction that would apparently, if he fed it to his wife, would help bring her back. So it was like a a concoction of herbs and things. And if it was combined with milk from a cow and forced down the imposter's throat, it would bring his wife back somehow. So he forced Bridget to drink it while his cousins pinned her down. And as she was pinned down, the men also threw urine at her and shook her yelling, away with you, come home, Bridget Boland. And Boland was her maiden name in the name of God. Many people came to see what was going on because naturally like, you know, small village sort of thing. Uh, People came to see what was going on in the house, watching her being tortured, but were too scared to intervene. Like coming to watch. That's just so absurd to me. So as she was literally being dumped over the head with urine, held in front of a fire, her skin hot and uncomfortable, Michael asked his wife to tell him her name, saying, are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God? And I'm not really sure what she said to that, but apparently after this whole ritual, Bridget was back, okay? She was like back and fine, or they decided that the ritual had supposedly worked and priests came to banish the evil spirits in the cottage. Everything seemed to kind of go back to normal because Bridget, after 11 days of being in bed because she was literally sick with bronchitis and this was before modern medicine, she mustered up the courage to put on a fashionable outfit and go out into the world likely because she was like, oh my God, people think I'm a freaking fairy. I need to appear as normal and cool as possible. So poor Bridget, probably traumatized from this whole thing, like miraculously had beaten bronchitis and comes back, has to like go out into the world and appear like everything's totally fine, even though she had just been dumped, like literal urine was dumped on her. Okay. And she was held over a fire and screamed at Like, I can't imagine going back out into the world and being normal after that. But similarly, though, Michael wasn't the same either after the whole ritual thing. He was still super suspicious of his wife. He still thought that she was a changeling in disguise, even though the ritual had apparently worked, so to speak. Every little thing that she did that resembled something that a fairy was known to do or that Jack would be in his ear about would set him off. So one day the couple was having tea with Bridget's relatives and Bridget asked Michael for some milk and he was alarmed since apparently fairies are known to like milk (laughs) in like the majority of the world. So something was clearly a bit off about Michael after speaking with Jack and that fairy doctor for too long. Trigger warning for this next part, domestic abuse. This might be hard to hear for some people. But this is what went down after Bridget simply asked for some milk for her tea in front of her relatives, mind you. Michael got super angry. She supposedly tried to assure him 
that she was not a fairy. She was saying, your mother used to be with the fairies, Bridget said to him, and that is why you think that I'm going with them as well. So she was suggesting that Michael had maybe some PTSD from his mother having mythical beliefs and interests back in his youth. And so he was afraid that his wife would take on the similar beliefs and like go crazy or whatever happened to his mom that I'm not really sure about. But this just sent him off. Michael ordered Bridget to eat three slices of bread and jam out like in rage. I don't know why he was like, okay, eat. Like that was his way of proving his total control over his wife. Totally absurd. Like, imagine your husband screaming at you in front of all of your relatives, like, eat these three pieces of bread and jam, like, forcing her to eat these things. Okay. So he also asked her to say her name again. And I think he's just going mad. He was like, just so afraid that she was a changeling. So she answered twice and she ate two of the three pieces of bread that he had given her. And when she hesitated for one single moment before eating the third slice, Her husband threw her on the ground and said, if you won't take it, down you will go. So clearly this guy is going crazy. He's having a psychotic break of some sort. But it's really sad because the relatives are literally there. The the woman is suffering and they're doing nothing. This whole story just angers me because all of the bystanders in both events, like the previous night when she was getting the pee dumped on her head, no one did anything. And now no one's doing anything again. So Bridget's hesitation before eating that third slice of bread cost her her life. Michael then forced the bread and jam down Bridget's throat. And after that, he began tearing off her clothes, leaving behind only her slip. A reminder, this is all unfolding in front of her relatives. I need to say this again. Like she's getting naked or like forcibly naked in front of her family. Michael grabbed a hot stick from the fire and held it close to Bridget's mouth. He struck her head against the floor and then set her slip on fire. And like that wasn't enough, he then poured lamp oil over her body, making the flames grow even bigger. So she's screaming, she's suffering, she's dying. And he yelled out loud, you will soon see my wife coming down the chimney. Because Michael genuinely believed that the person that he was burning wasn't a person at all. It was an imposter. Not a woman, but a fairy, and his wife would return once the fairy died. He said, quote, she's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife. And he said this to the relatives in the room that stood there in horror. He wrapped her charred body after she died in a sheet and shoved it into an old bag. Then he left the house locking Bridget's relatives inside with the corpse. They stayed there, locked in for an hour, praying over Bridget's body, which must have been so traumatic for them. But also I have no, like, I guess they did what they did. They stayed quiet. They stood back because they knew that if they had done something, you know, who knows what Michael would have done to them. But I'm still pissed at them, honestly. So Michael disappeared for an hour. He apparently went to go dig a shallow grave to bury Bridget in. So when he, or not Bridget, the fairy. So when he came back, he appeared wild, holding a knife and threatening to kill Bridget's cousin, Patrick, if he didn't help him bury the body because Michael couldn't carry her by himself. So the two men carried the body a quarter mile uphill from the cottage and buried it in a shallow grave. And when he returned to the cottage, the scene of the horrific crime, he proceeded to force Bridget's relatives to swear they won't tell a soul especially the authorities. 
But then the body was found. After only a two-day trial, two-day trial. Okay, this is the most infuriating part. Michael was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to prison along with Jack Dunn, the fairy doctor, Bridget's father, and four of Bridget's cousins. And the judge, this is the crazy part, ruled out murder charges, explaining, quote, they had all acted out of genuine belief. Genuine belief. Okay, that, <laughs> that'll do it. And guys, it's terrifying because this was only a century ago-ish. Like, this happened in the 1890s, which like, okay, yeah, it's kind of a long time ago, but also not a long time ago. Like, that is terrifying. So get this as well. Michael was found guilty of manslaughter, but he was released after just 15 years in prison in 1910 and booked it to Liverpool and then to Canada. Like he lived a totally long life because he got out after 15 years. That's crazy. Jack Dunn served only a three-year prison sentence. The guy that literally convinced Michael that his wife was a fairy. And so that being said, Michael, to anyone who would listen, blamed the murder of his wife on Jack wholeheartedly. I guess that 15 years in prison got him thinking about how stupid he was, like how everything he did was so like messed up. He said, quote, God knows I would never do it, but for Jack Dunn. It was he who told me my wife was a fairy. So I don't know what to believe. I have the sneaking suspicion I know that psychotic breaks happen and people can like momentarily lose it. And there's like many theories that back up the fact that this can happen and someone can snap out of it after, you know, if something is overwhelming or traumatizing or whatever, like people can snap in and out of these psychotic moments, episodes, things like that. But something is like pointing me in the direction of Michael had some ulterior motives here. Like he was so quick to book it out of Ireland like Jack Dunn, after his three-year sentence, returned to the town where the whole thing went down. Like he returned, he began working as a laborer, like he went back to his normal life. Michael booked it to Liverpool, then he booked it to Canada. Like I have a sneaking suspicion that he did this to get rid of her. Like I think that he was one of those, like, you know, he was like feigning belief in fairies, but truly just wanted to start over. I don't know, maybe like his, his, his wife wasn't giving him kids. Like it was eight years and he probably felt inferior to her and didn't have kids to raise. Like his wife was killing it, having all these jobs and like was so respected in the community and was fashionable and all these things. And like there was he, like him just like, you know, kind of hanging out. So I have a suspicion that he had ulterior motives. I also read somewhere that he said that like she had an affair or was having an affair with someone. And that was maybe another reason why like someone had said it as like a speculation, like maybe she was having an affair. I don't know about that. I feel like he either had a psychotic break for a moment there and just went off the rails and killed her, which is not right. I will never say that that is a correct thing to do or a good thing or excusable. Absolutely not. But I am just leaning towards the fact that he wanted to start fresh. He wanted to have a new life. And the freaking judge only gave him 15 years behind bars for killing, brutally killing, like torturing and killing, not just like a shot through the head. Like it was brutal torture, not only the actual death scene, but a few days prior when she was like tortured by all these men and peed on and all that stuff. Like I feel as though he should have gotten a longer sentence. Obviously, I think he should have died in prison. Sorry. 
But yeah, anyway, uh, this really great article I found on the story of Bridget Cleary said the following, which really stuck with me and it's, it couldn't be more true. So author Maria J. Perez Cuervo wrote in this article, which I'll have linked, Bridget Cleary was ambitious, independent, and childless, a modern woman. She didn't conform to the patriarchal norm, which may have made her appear to some in her life as closer to the fairy realm than to their own. Boom. <laughs> that is incredible. You know, Bridget Cleary was unlike women of her time. And so I feel that some might have been in- intimidated by that. Like I said, I think that Michael was probably intimidated by that. And as were other people who got to talking, Jack Dunn also seems like the type of person that would want her gone just because she's uncomfortable to deal with as a woman succeeding. So yeah, that is the story of the fairy wife, as she's called. It's a really tragic story. Don't get me wrong. As I said in the beginning of the episode, it's not a happy tale, but I wanted to tell her story so it's never forgotten. So we know what kind of woman Bridget really was. And it kind of brings me back, like I said in the beginning of the episode, to my other episode, my other research on witches. You know, just because someone is a little bit different in a good way or a bad way. Like witches, oftentimes, like they just tried to heal people with unconventional methods and they might have been a bit reclusive and shy and they were dubbed witch because of that. And with Bridget, she was this successful career woman that was making a name for herself in the community, doing more than just being a housewife. She didn't have any kids and that was what women were supposed to do at the time. So, you know, she was just ahead of her time. Like she's such a Miranda, I feel like. When I think of her, I think of Miranda Hobbs from Sex and the City. Like I feel like that is her. But, you know, obviously I'm sure there were there were murmurs in the community about her being a witch maybe or, you know, conspiring with who knows what. Because people, like jealous people or people that don't understand other people will jump to the craziest of conclusions. And honestly, I feel like if I were alive during this time, I would probably be considered a fairy changeling as well because I would have had a very similar interest in forbidden places. Like it's almost like telling someone not to like open something like or don't like don't open, don't read this or don't watch this video. Like people are going to do it. Like (laughs) I'm very tempted by the things that I'm told I shouldn't or can't do as any other human being would. And something tells me many other people at this time, we're probably also visiting the fairy dwelling areas, like trying to see if they could find a fairy with their own two eyes. And, you know, there must have been a lot of interest in that. Like it's a forbidden thing. So obviously you're going to want to do what is forbidden and investigate for yourself. So I feel like Bridget was definitely not the only person that was doing this, but people probably just didn't like her or they thought that, you know, they were jealous of her, like I said, or, you know, they for whatever reason, we're just like out together. And I think that this just really, it was so unfortunate how it went down with her because she, she seems like such a great, great woman. So anyway, that is the story of Bridget Cleary. I wanted to tell it today because like I said, I don't want her to be forgotten. I want people to remember her legacy as this bold, driven, ambitious person, um, for her time. And I, I wish there was more on her. Like, I wish I knew more about her aside from the fact that she was brutally murdered and left out in her underwear, like in the middle of the countryside. Like what a doofus that guy. I don't know where the husband ended up. I didn't even like want to research anymore about him, but I hope that he 
had a horrible life. (laughs) Sorry, but not sorry at all. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Anyway, guys, that is it for my episode today. Thank you all for listening. Hope you found it interesting, enlightening, all of the above. This definitely just scraped the surface on the whole fairy chat. I only really tackled the Irish belief in fairies. Obviously, people have believed in fairies for a very long time in all parts of the world. So I don't want people to think that only the Irish believe in fairies because as we know, that's not a thing. But specifically found this story, thought it was really absurd and needed to be told. So thanks for listening, guys. And I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye. Bye.